You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are going to be reading John chapter 21, verses 1 through 19. When Jesus appears to the seven disciples. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. Another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Let's pray together. Father God, we love you so much. We thank you for this place that we're able to come together each week and worship you and learn more about you. We thank you so much for the Selah home and those whom you've laid on their heart to start this ministry. We pray for their endurance, their perseverance, um, their steadfast calmness and peacefulness as they enter this ministry that is surely to be hard. We pray for the finances that they need to keep it running and provide these single pregnant women with all of the resources they need for their pregnancy and for their kids who will be there with them. Um, We thank you so much for Central Middle School. Thank you so much for the administration and the staff here and the way that they open their arms to us so that we can come and worship you each week. We pray for their days, Lord. It's the beginning of the school year, and I pray that you would give them every measure of peace that they need for each day. I pray that the teachers would feel your support and feel you lifting them to 
impart not just academic wisdom, but lifelong wisdom for these students. And we pray for the students and the teachers to just feel your presence and that this would be a place that they remember feeling your presence and learning more about you and feeling just supported by you while they're here. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. morning. We hope you don't feel welcome. (laughs) Olivia, is that your version of break a leg? What is that? All right. We do hope you feel welcome. Um, My name is Gary. I'm one of the elders here at Free City Church. And uh, this morning is the first morning I understand by my forecast, anyway, on my phone, first of three days in a row of 100 degree weather. Um, And this morning, we have the last of three messages based on our Bible reading program, Seeing Jesus Together. This is what it looks like. Um, uh, Two weeks ago, KC preached on Manasseh. Last week, Ryan preached on uh, Revelation 3. And today I'm preaching on John 21. Seeing Jesus Together. Uh, Why... Why seeing Jesus together? Well, our desire at Free City Church is that everybody who attends regularly, we desire for you to spend time regularly in God's Word and in prayer. This is one way of doing it. A lot of us are doing it. Um, it's a cool thing. It, if you go through this program, I hate to call it a program. That sounds too sterile. Uh, but if you go through this, it'll take you through the New Testament each year. It'll take you through a third of the Old Testament each year. We started this in uh, January, so I assume we'll be with it for another couple years at least. All right. You heard John 21 read. Thank you, Amber, wherever you're sitting. And thank you, worship team. Uh, that was great. Intro thoughts to John 21 before I dive in. Uh, first of all, I, I know not many people use New American Standard anymore. I do. So you're going to hear some things that aren't the same. English words won't always exactly match up, but the intent is there. Um, Another Sea of Tiberias in verse 1. That is, what is the Sea of Tiberias anyway? That's the Sea of Galilee. Same thing. Okay. John could have ended his book at the end of chapter 20. We're talking about 21. It's like an epilogue. 20 ends with this. Many other signs Jesus performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that, number one, you may believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and two, believing that, you may have life in his name. He could have stopped right there and it would have been a nice wrap-up to the book of John. But he includes this epilogue of Peter being restored to his apostolic ministry. The books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and really John, the story of Peter ends with what? What happens? How does Peter end up in those books? He denies Jesus three times. And except for a couple of very tertiary mentions of Peter, that's our picture of Peter. Then in the book of Acts, chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes down. Peter stands up and leads 3,000 people to faith in Christ. If we didn't have this epilogue, we would wonder what in the world happened between denying Christ three times and this. And John fills it in for us. So that's really the main reason. There are other reasons for John 21, but that's the main one. 
Let me give you my main points of John 21. Um, you heard Peter got kind of pulled back. You might want to turn the volume down. Maybe it's, maybe it's me standing in front of those speakers or something. Maybe I'll move back just a little bit. All right. Um, here's my outline. There's this pull of the old life. That takes us verses 1 through 3. And then uh, verses 12 through uh, 19, it's the call to the new life. And then sandwiched in between is uh, Jesus redeeming our backslides into, into the old life. So, uh, so that's my outline. Now you know where I'm headed. By the way, the call to the new life, he gives three calls. He says, follow me. That's the last call he gives, but I look at that as an umbrella. And under follow me is come and have breakfast and feed my sheep. All right, so that's where we're going. Now, why were they in Galilee in the first place? Well, in Matthew 26, 32, uh, the night uh, that Jesus was uh, betrayed, the day before he was crucified, he said to the disciples, when I am raised, I want you to go to Galilee and I'll meet you there. I don't know if any of that stuck. <laughs> Certainly, they didn't, when I'm raised, what? Um, and then, in uh, chapter 28, at the tomb, uh, Jesus, or not Jesus, but the angel at the tomb told the women who had gone there to uh, prepare his body. Um, he said, tell my disciples, go back, tell them I'm raised, and, and tell them uh, to meet me in, in uh, Galilee. Now, this wasn't Jesus, this was the angel. So they said, go back and talk to his disciples and tell them to go to Galilee. Jesus will meet them there. Three verses later, they're running to tell the disciples. Jesus himself comes up and meets them and says, tell my disciples to go to Galilee. I'm going to meet them there. And I believe that's the first time that he wants to meet them is up in Galilee. Well, in John 20, we didn't read it, but you know John 20, the disciples after the crucifixion are in a room in Jerusalem shut up with the door locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus appears to him there. He says, don't be afraid. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And uh, he probably said something about either I'm going to meet you in Galilee or man, shouldn't you guys be packing? Don't you have somewhere to be? <laughs> um, anyway, uh, but he appeared to them. Of course, somebody was missing, right? Thomas was missing. So eight days later, they're still in this room, this time with Thomas. Jesus appears to him again probably repeats, I'll see you in Galilee, because then the third time that they, uh, they see Jesus, according to verse 14 of our uh, passage today, this is the third time that Jesus was manifest to the disciples after uh, he was raised from the dead. All right, so why Galilee in the first place? Jesus told them three times, go to Galilee, I'm going to see you there. Probably to Capernaum. Now, why do I say to Capernaum? That was Peter and Andrew's hometown. They felt uh, at least Peter felt at home enough to borrow somebody's fishing boat and all their fishing gear. I'm assuming it's friends from his hometown. So probably in Capernaum, which is at the north end of the Sea of Galilee. And then, and then uh, my last intro point, why fishing? Why'd they go fishing that day? You know, my first judgmental comment is old ways die hard and the old life wants to pull you back into your old ways. Um, <clears throat> but he had, also he had a family to provide for. Uh, Doreen and I were talking this morning. She said, you know, they didn't get, at least from what we can see, they didn't get a lot of instruction on what to do. And so Peter, probably not wanting, you know, he's a little impulsive anyway, not wanting to waste time. Um, well, I'm going to go fishing. And uh, the leader that he was, six people went with him. 
All right. Well, the pull of the old life. The pull of the old life. You might be saying, I'm about to be a little tough on Peter. The truth is, I don't think it was terribly wrong of him to go fishing. I don't think it was inherently sinful to go fishing for fish. After all, in this passage, Jesus himself helped them to have success at it, right? And then he had them bring the fish that they caught to the breakfast he was providing. But I do believe it can represent a dangerous trend. Flirting with impulses that were taking him away from the new direction that Jesus had given him. Well, what am I talking about? Remember uh, Matthew 4.19, Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He met Peter and Andrew, and he said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. There's a new direction. Luke 5, um, <clears throat> Peter is all, all night fishing. This is a very similar incident. In fact, I think John 21 is, is a repeat on purpose of Luke 5. Peter had been all night fishing. Jesus was on the shore. He said, go out into the deeper water, let your nets down, and you'll find a catch. And they did. They got a huge catch of fish. It, it almost sank two fishing boats, broke their nets. And uh, Peter said, hey, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. Jesus said, do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Do not fear. From now on, you'll be catching men. Jesus at least twice gave him this new direction. No more fishing for fish. You go fishing for men. And, uh, and I do think that this, this pull to the old life of going back, not that in this case it was inherently terribly sinful, but I think that was, uh, it was the wrong direction for him to go. Given this new direction, really, shouldn't Peter have been fishing for men up in Galilee? He was in his hometown. Jesus had just appeared twice to them, miraculously, in this locked room in Jerusalem. He said, put your finger in my hand if you need to. Put your hand in my side if you need to. It's me. I've risen from the dead. Didn't Peter have an amazing message? that he could have taken back to his friends in his hometown? I think he did. Maybe he should have been fishing for men that morning and not going out fishing for fish. I don't want to make a big deal of it, but what about us? We have a lot of pulls too. What sorts of pulls tempt us to go back to our old life? I work with ROTC students at KU, and I tell them probably not often enough that the two biggest things I see that cause cadets and midshipmen that have joined our Bible study for a while and then they fall away. It's usually due to partying, underage drinking, drinking in general, or uh, relationship issues with the opposite gender. Those two seem to be the biggest issues that guys fall away from the Bible study and just don't come back. And that's not to mention pornography, a big issue, which probably keeps them from coming to the Bible study in the first place. But we have these pulls. We have all sorts of pulls. You could name, I just named three. Uh, you could name a lot more than that. And I have three observations about the pulls of the old life. Uh, my first one is that it is formidable. It really will work hard. And when I say it, who am I talking about? We have three major enemies. We have the world with all of its temptations. And uh, books movies, magazines, TV, our phone, everything is trying to pull us the wrong way. You see a little tiny bit of redemption in these things, but generally it pulls us the wrong direction. Uh, 
uh, G, uh, let's see, John said in 1 John 2, 15 and 16, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And then we've got our flesh, which we will never get away from. As long as we live and breathe, the flesh is with us. And it wants to take us the wrong direction. The world is out there with its temptations, and our weak and our wayward and our inherently wicked flesh wants to run in that direction. And then we have Satan, who will do everything he can in his power to use the world and our flesh to separate us from Christ. It's formidable. It is persistent. I like to think of uh, the pulls of the world. They're generally not huge, gigantic, impossible uh, barriers to overcome. I, like, I think of it, I don't like to think of it, but I think of it as being in a boat and you want to go upstream. And this stream has a gentle downstream flow to it. It doesn't take a lot to overcome that flow, but it does take something. And it takes a persistent work to overcome it. When we stop rowing, what happens? We don't just sit still. We go down with the flow. It is persistent. We need to be persistent as well. And my third observation about the pulls of the world and the temptations of the world, <clears throat> its promises in the end are empty. What about verse 3? What do they do? They went out fishing. We'll come with you. They went out and got into the boat, and that night they had a great catch. No, they caught nothing. Their hopes, their expectations, they got zero out of it. That's the pull of the world. That's the pull of the flesh. And that's uh, the attacks of Satan. The enemy wants us to think that joy and fulfillment are found in going back to the old ways. When in reality, joy is found when we give our life away in new ways. I'm going to say that again. It's worth saying again. The enemy wants us to think that joy and fulfillment are found in going back to the old ways. When in reality, joy is found when we give our life away in new ways. All right. That's the first three verses. The pull of the world. The pull of the flesh. The attacks of Satan. But Jesus on the shore changes everything. Verse 4. When the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. I want to talk about did not know Jesus. We'll talk about that in a minute. But first of all, Jesus was on the shore, and that changes everything. Look at verse 6. He said to them, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. So they cast, and they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. They went from total fishing failure to wildly successful. Jesus on the beach changes everything. But there's a couple of points I want to make about this uh, failure to wildly successful. How'd they get there? First of all, verse 5. Jesus said to them, children, you don't have any fish, do you? They answered, no. That's kind of humbling. That's kind of humbling. Uh, no, you have to admit <laughs> you don't have anything. And then second, it included that command to be obeyed. Cast on the right side and you'll have a catch. What does that tell me? It tells me that success in Jesus' eyes, you don't go from failure to success in Jesus' eyes without some serious humility and obedience. So Jesus on the shore changes everything. Fishing failure, the width of the boat was the difference between <laughs> failure and success. Uh, they had to cast or else they wouldn't have, uh, wouldn't have that success. 
So they had to obey the command. And then uh, it changes everything. Peter's priorities were radically changed, weren't they? It's from I'm going fishing in uh, verse 3 to I'm done with this kind of fishing. Let's look at verse, uh, what is that, verse 7? Yeah, therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved, and this is how John, how John referred to himself, the disciple that Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Uh, you know, John is saying, hey, this looks very familiar. It reminds me of, he didn't say Luke 5, but it reminded him of Luke 5. And he said, it is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. All right? So when you go out fishing at night, it's generally chilly. You wear a jacket or an outer garment of some kind. But when you start rowing, you start casting this net, the net, you start pulling it in and, and doing your fishing thing. You uh, work up a, an, some internal heat. You start sweating. You take off your outer garment because you're working. So the symbol of working is you got your outer garment off. And so when he put that outer garment back on, he was done. He was done with fishing. He was done with that boat. He was done with, he was, yeah, done with the fish. And he jumped into the water. He threw himself into the ocean and he made a beeline for Jesus. Now the scripture doesn't say he made a beeline for Jesus, but he did, didn't he? Uh, when Jesus, in verse 9, uh, when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire laid in the, no, verse 11. Uh, verse 10, sorry. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Who was it that went up and drew the net to land? It was Simon Peter. So he jumped out of the boat. He made a beeline for Jesus, leaving fish and boat and the outboard motor or whatever behind. I wonder about us. Are, is there something in our life? Are we ready to say, man, I am done with fill in the blank and I'm ready to wholeheartedly give myself to Jesus. That's what Peter was doing. I'm done with this fishing for fish. I'm going to Jesus. I'm giving my life wholeheartedly back to him. Well, Jesus changes everything from exhausted and hungry to come and have breakfast. That's in verse 12, and I want to read on in verse 12 and talk about something else. None of the disciples ventured to ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? Remember back in verse uh, 4, the disciples did not know it was Jesus standing on the beach. What is the deal with that? This isn't the only time that happened. On the road to Emmaus, he started walking with two of the disciples. They didn't know who he was until way later in the day. Uh, Mary at the tomb saw Jesus. She thought he was the gardener. <laughs> so he was not glorifying himself. He was still a human, but he was disguising himself some way so that people didn't recognize him. Why is that? You know, as I thought about it, I thought, up until then, they had this part of it easy. When they saw Jesus, they knew Jesus. But from now on, they have the Holy Spirit and they don't have the presence of Jesus right there in front of them anymore um, after the ascension, right? So they're going to have to learn how to discern the voice of Jesus speaking through the Holy Spirit. Well, that's not as easy as seeing, oh, there's Jesus, I see him right away. So I, I sense that Jesus was telling the disciples something like this. Um, just like you now need to discern whether it's me leading you, you must help your disciples 
learn to discern my leading versus false teachers and false prophets. And that's us. We need to learn to discern the voice of Jesus and the leading of Jesus as opposed to other things. And so he was breaking the disciples into that uh, right then. All right? Hey, now look at, uh, look at verse 11. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, 153. Although there were so many, the net was not torn. What's this deal on 153? What is the deal with 153? I understand that in, in the past, some speakers have taken 153 and just made a mountain out of a molehill or, I don't know, interpreted something that's not there. I don't think there's anything inherent about 153, but the number of 153 just tells me something. He didn't round it down to 150. He didn't round it up to 155 or 160. I probably would have. It was 153. They were large fish. Everyone was consequential. They were all counted. Not one was insignificant. God has a, uh, a book of life. My name is in there. Many of your names are in there. Every single one is counted. There's a discrete number of names in there. He knows the number. We don't. But like there were 153 fish, everyone was significant. Everyone counted. Everyone in the kingdom of God is significant. Do you understand your significance to God? You are. If you think you're not significant, you're wrong. If I think you're not significant, I'm wrong. Every single one in this room is significant to God and to his kingdom. It reminds me of Matthew 10, right? Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one falls to the earth apart from your father. Indeed, your, the hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You're more valuable than many sparrows. Hey, this, the cynical side of me asks, how many sparrows am I more significant than? 10 sparrows? 20 sparrows? Um, and that's, that's funny. Our minds may go there. But then, let Scripture take you to Mark 8, 36. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? How much are we worth? God says your soul's worth more than the whole world. It doesn't profit you to gain the whole world if you kind of lose your soul. You are significant. You are valuable. Let that sink in. All right. Well, that's Jesus on the shore changes everything. Now let's talk about the calls to the new life. The pull of the world, the pull of the flesh, and the attacks of Satan pull us back to the old life because we think something in our flesh thinks we're going to find joy there. But Jesus constantly calls us to the new life. Constantly calls us. I already told you what the three calls are, and I'm going to give you the, the last one first because I think it's in like an umbrella. Verse 18 and 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. Jesus is talking to Peter, of course. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you to where you don't wish to go. Now this he said, signifying what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said, follow me. Now, do you see what Jesus did speaking to Peter just then? He took him to his past. And he said, hey, this is your past. You used to gird yourself and you did whatever you wanted. You did all this messy stuff as a teenager and whatever. And, uh, and, and that, you can't do anything about that. That's gone, that's done. 
in the future. This is a hard, Peter. This is going to be a hard statement, but you're going to spread out your hands, right? He was crucified, wasn't he? Upside down, church tradition tells us, because he felt unworthy to be crucified in the same way that Jesus was crucified. But you're going to, your hands will be stretched out. People are going to take you where you don't want to go. That's hard. That's in your future. Don't worry about that. But right now, you have these years intervening. What will you do? Follow me. You know, this has become really valuable to me in the last few years. I like to shrink it down in my quiet time to minutes. Lord, I just messed up two minutes ago, and my mind was elsewhere, and I can't do anything about that. I can't do anything about the minutes coming down, but this moment right here, this moment, Lord Jesus, is yours. All right. So follow me. In the time that you have, follow me. So it's a big umbrella with come and have breakfast and feed my sheep. Let's talk about come and have breakfast. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Okay, that's as far as I'm going to read there. Uh, Come and have breakfast. In other words, spend time with me. And verse 13, Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and the fish likewise. Not only come and spend time with me, let me feed you. Let me nourish you. What does it look like to have breakfast with Jesus? What does it look like to have breakfast with Jesus? Well, it depends on where you stand with him. If you've never really responded to Jesus yet, here's what I think it looks like. Ryan preached on Revelation 3.20 last week, and what does it say? It looks like Revelation 3.20. If you've not responded to Jesus, having breakfast with him looks like, behold, I stand at the door and knock, says Jesus. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. That's what it looks like. God is in heaven on his throne. He loves us. And he wants us to be with him. But there's a great gulf between God in heaven and man on earth because of sin. Romans 3.23 says all of sin falls short of the glory of God. And we can't get over it. We can't get to God, can we? Because of this gulf of sin. And we're not good enough. For by grace you're saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. So we're, we're here. God is here. He loves us. He wants us there. But we can't get there. So what we could not do from our side, God did from his side, sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and be a bridge between sinful men and a holy God. And that's why Jesus says, if you hear my voice... I'm knocking. If you hear my voice, it's as simple as this. You don't have to do some great work. You can't do some great work. You don't have to make some great promise. You just need to receive the gift. Open the door. I will come in and will dine with him and he with me. That's, that's breakfast for the first time with Jesus. I know I'm talking to somebody here. I know, I know there are people who have not yet responded to Jesus. My challenge to you, do it. It's that, you, you know, my thing, it's too simple. That's too easy. That's not right. 
This is what Jesus himself tells us. This is what God himself tells us in his word. It is that simple. Now, living it out, living a life, a Christian life in this world is complicated and it is tough. Coming to Jesus is not tough. He makes it. He makes it not tough. Well, what does it look like if you believe in Jesus as your Savior? uh, What does it look like to have breakfast with him? Well, it means growing in him through regular time in his word and in prayer. 1 Peter 2.2 says, Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. So the milk of the word, taking that in, makes us grow in our salvation. You know, uh, last Wednesday, Paul Riley at Citigroup said, man, the number of times that our relationship with Christ, food comes into that for those verses. It's crazy how many times. And uh, yeah, I will come in and I'll dine with you and you with me. Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word. Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jeremiah says, your words were found and I ate them. They became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. Yeah, there's a lot about eating. Uh, eat his word. And so we talked about seeing Jesus together. I just wanted to mention it again. You know, these things sell for $15. Uh, we buy them for 15 We sell them for 15 So we don't make a lot of profit off those. I don't think that's very much profit. Um, pass the savings on to you. Well, how are you doing at answering this call of Jesus to come and have breakfast? Do you regularly have breakfast with him? Well, seeing Jesus together is one way. Um, There are many ways you can do it. If you Googled seven minutes with God, that's what I start ROTC folks off with. Seven minutes. If you can find, anybody can find seven minutes. And if you start off with seven and you're regular about it, you'll probably go further. You'll probably make it 10, 15, 20, uh, or whatever it leads to. All right. Well, that's, uh, that's the first of follow me calls. Come and have breakfast. And then... Take what I have given you. I'm feeding you. I'm nourishing you. Take that and feed others. That's the second call. So follow me. Have breakfast yourself and feed others. So let's talk about feeding others. That's verse 15. So when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. And I think yours says feed my lambs. Um, okay. What's happening here? He goes through that three times. What's happening is Jesus is restoring Peter in the presence of the other apostles to his apostolic ministry after his previous denials of Christ at the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and earlier in John. And he says, do you love me more than these? Let's talk about that just for a minute. More than these what? <laughs> we don't know what Jesus was pointing at when he said, do you love me more than these? Well, there's like three different interpretations. I'm not going to even talk about one. I'll talk about a couple. The way that I've read John 21 this last few weeks uh, is Peter is kind of relapsing back to his old ways. And uh, Jesus is calling him out of the old ways to the new ways. Fishing not for fish, but for men. I'm going to knock this thing over in a minute, aren't I? Uh, could, yeah, you guys just watch your heads, okay? Uh, 
I just lost my train of thought. Okay. Yeah, do you love me more than these? Um, so I think, I think he was pointing at um, the fishing gear, the boats, the fish. Peter, I'm calling you out of that. Do you love me more than you love this stuff? Uh, that's what I believe he's going with it. Another possibility is, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? Um, and, and that sounds kind of weird, but he actually, in uh, was it Matthew 6, 33, had said to Jesus, although everyone may fall away, I will never fall away. What he's saying is, I love you more than they love you. I won't fall away. So if, if Jesus was asking him, do you love me more than these guys love me? Back before he was crucified, I think he would have said, yeah, they're going to fall away, but I won't. This particular day, he's been humbled. I don't think he's going to say, yes, Lord, I love you more than these guys. I don't think that's going to happen. I think he's saying, yeah, I love you more than I love this fish and this fishing. And I just proved it because I jumped out of the boat and swam 100 yards to get to you. Anyway, whatever the interpretation, uh, that's not so important as Jesus was clearly commanding Peter to serve him by helping others based on his love for Christ, not out of an obligation or a feeling of shame or a feeling of guilt or whatever, but because he loved Jesus. Okay, I want to talk about something else. The words agape and phileo. And some of you may have heard this, uh, but I want to talk about it because I think I came to a new understanding of this as I studied. When Jesus asked, do you love me? He uses the word agape, unselfish love. Do you love me unselfishly? Are you ready to serve? Peter answers, yes, Lord, I phileo you. I love you with the phileo love, which is a brother, not, not a brotherly love necessarily, but it's a tender affection. Um, and I think in the past, I always thought agape is up here. Phileo is here somewhere. And then eros, you know, somewhere down here. Uh, man, I don't think that anymore. I looked up those words in... in a, Vines, W.E. Vine is a, a biblical scholar on words of the New Testament. In fact, he wrote an um, expository dictionary of New Testament words. That used to be a staple of guys my age back in the day. And, uh, and he says of agape, it's unselfish love ready to serve. Wonderful. He says of phileo, it conveys the thought of cherishing the object above all else characterized by constancy. In other words, it's going to keep going. Characterized by constancy. So cherish the object above all else. Characterized by constancy from the motive of the highest veneration or reverence. That doesn't sound like agape here and phileo down here somewhere. That sounds like two facets on the same jewel. And anyway, when Jesus says, do you agape me? Do you love me? Are you with an unselfish love ready to serve? What's Peter's answer? Yes, Lord. So here's how I read it. Do you love me with an unselfish love ready to serve? Yes, Lord. I do love you with an unselfish love ready to serve. And not only that, not only that, I cherish you above all else 
And then Vine, Vine's uh, definition, <laughs> I will continue to do so because of my deep reverence for you. Peter isn't dropping down to a lower form of love. Jesus, are, do you give me this highest form? No, I'll give you this. No, that's not what's happening. It's, yes, I do love you with that love, and I love you with this love too. Um, so, anyway, that's how I see it. Uh, the second time, Jesus uses agape again. Peter uses phileo again. Um, the third time, they both use phileo. Now, but there's more to agape and phileo. Um, this, these words are both used kind of interchangeably in John's gospel. Um, the biggest example, you remember John describes himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. You would think he would get that right. It would be agape every time if agape was way up here. Well, in 19, uh, chapter 19, verse 26, it's uh, the disciple that Jesus loved with agape love. Just a few verses later in chapter 20, verse 2, it's the disciple that Jesus loved with tender, affectionate love, phileo. So um, he, he used, that's one example. He talks about the Father's love for us. In one place, it's agape. one place, it's phileo. He talks about uh, the Father's love for Jesus. In one place, it's agape. one place, it's phileo. Probably not wise to make a big, giant distinction in, in a, trying, to, trying to work something in that's not there. All right. Now, I want to note three other details of Jesus' restoration of Peter to his apostolic ministry. In chapter 18 of John, this is where Jesus was denied by Peter. Where was Peter at this time? He was in the court of the high priest. It was chilly that night. How was he keeping warm? There was a charcoal fire in the court of the high priest. You know what charcoal fire smells like, right? Smells take you back, don't they? You smell something that you smelled when you were five years old. It takes you back. Even somebody my age, it takes you right back immediately. You have that memory in your mind. When Peter smells a charcoal fire, what does it take him back to? Denying Christ. Let's look at verse 9 again. When they got out on the land... They saw a charcoal fire already laid and a fish placed on it. Jesus wants to give them a new memory for a charcoal fire. Not three denials, three affirmations that you love me and you're going to feed my sheep. And then he denied publicly. Jesus restored him publicly as well. So, Three affirmations cancel out three denials. <laughs> okay, well, do you love Jesus? Are you following him? Are you having breakfast with him regularly? Are you allowing him to feed and nourish you? Are you taking what Jesus has given you and are you feeding others? And I've given at least a couple of applications for if you don't know Jesus, receive him. If you do, make sure you're spending time with them. But if you do, and you are spending regular time, are you feeding others? And I just ask myself three questions. Am I helping another person who does not yet know Jesus to move toward him?
Am I doing that? You guys ask yourself that. I know there's a lot of people in ministry in here. Am I helping another person who doesn't know Jesus yet to move toward him? Another question, am I helping another believer to draw close to Jesus? And then, am I helping another believer learn how to help others, whether a believer or an unbeliever? Am I taking what Jesus is giving me, and am I feeding it to others? All right. Well, the pull of the old life is strong. Does your love for Jesus compel you to follow him by forsaking the old ways and answering his call to be nourished by him through regularly meeting with him and then taking what he gives you to feed his other sheep? In a moment, I'm going to ask the communion team to come forward. But first, listen to this. We're going to have breakfast in a different way, a bite and a little swallow. (laughs) We celebrate our relationship with God each week by remembering that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. As often as you drink it, do in remembrance of me. All right, communion team. Would you like to come forward? And as we move to communion, there are three possible movements for you. If you trust Jesus as your Savior, come forward and take the bread or, uh, and dip it in the wine or the grape juice, grape juice in the uh, clear glass and the wine in the other, representing the body and blood of Jesus. If you're not to the point of trusting Jesus yet, you may just want to stay seated Think about what Jesus did on the cross and maybe invite him in for the first time. If you sense that you need prayer, you know, maybe my sermon missed the boat completely for you. You've come with health issues, relationship issues, or something else, and you just need someone to pray with. And pray with a person next to you, or we have prayer team members behind those curtains on either side, a guy and a gal on either side, Go out and pray for them. Tell them what's going on, and they would love to pray for you. All right, let's close in prayer, and then we'll have communion. Lord, thank you for that overall command. We can't do anything about our past. We can't change uh, what's destined for our future, uh, but we can decide this moment what we're going to do. Thank you that it looks like having breakfast with you, spending time with you, being nourished and fed by you, and then taking that and feeding it to others. Help us to follow you in this way. Help us to find joy in not yearning for the old, but giving away our lives in new ways. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas, please visit our website at fcclawrence.com.